Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Erin B. Taylor and Melanie T. Ui, anthropologists and authors of Better Research, Better Design, How to Align Teams and Build a Humor-Centric Company Culture. We are excited to have Erin and Melanie with us to share this joint research project. This project is intended as a toolkit for researchers and their colleagues to help them position the value of their work and bring it forth to a desired organizational level. We asked the authors, how did the idea for the project come around? How did they organize the research and what were some unexpected insights that emerged from it? Melanie and Erin asks us back whether they were right or wrong with their conclusions. Listen to the episode and feel free to reach out to the authors to share your feedback. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, friends. We are here today with Erin Taylor, um, anthropologist and founder of Anthropology, and Melanie T. Ui, am I saying it correctly? I hope I am. Yes, um, correct. <laughs> Entre- uh, enterprise user experience researchers. Hello, ladies. Hi, Karina. Hello. It's so good. Erin Erin um, actually has has been on the podcast um, uh, in the early days, several years back. I think you were, Erin, one of our first 10 speakers. So it's always such a uh, such exciting to want to bring you back because it gives me the opportunity to remember those first episodes. It's always um, a pleasure to come back. Yes, and um, now every time you come back, there's always one uh, another cool project after the other, and this is also the case today because we are here to talk about um, the reports that the two of you have so wonderfully put together and made available. Uh, better research, better design: how to align teams and build a human-centric company culture. Um, so yeah, without further ado, um, but maybe for those of our listeners that don't know um, know you, maybe we start with just a short, short, short um, introduction round. Uh, so I can go first if you like. Uh, so I'm Erin. I'm originally from Australia. I have a PhD in anthropology from the University of Sydney, but I have been living in the Netherlands for about six and a half years now, where I founded and run my own company called Finthropology, which investigates uh, the financial behaviour of people like you and me. Hi, Erin and I have been friends from Australia, but I finished my PhD here at the Freie Universiteit in Amsterdam and happily we met up here and um, it's good to work with Erin. I'm originally a a ritual specialist so I studied um, funeral rituals Mm -hmm. and then I worked on uh, workplace cultures in China. So this report comes at the um, interesting chapter in my life where I'm transitioning to industry research. Wow, I have so many questions. <laughs> now, how does this ritual um, background? Uh, what, what's the? How does it translate into enterprise user experience research? But maybe Melanie, we just have to do a podcast episode just on your fascinating yeah, background. Sure. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, thank thank you both of you. Um, now I'm going to just dive into our first question and just just um, let's explore together. What, what's your motivation um, around um, around doing this report? Where where does the original idea came from, and how did you um, now why? Yeah, well, it's actually something we've been thinking about and talking about for several years, <laughs> and it really began, I suppose, with my visits to the different conferences of the ethnographic praxis and industry community, where issues regarding the roles of researchers in companies discussed a lot. Now, um, at some point a few years ago, uh, I started a, a meetup group in the Netherlands called Ethnoboral, which Melanie helps to run, and we kept encountering the same kinds of issues that Researchers working in companies were struggling with feeling that their work wasn't particularly well understood or valued. And this surprised me because I know that compared with 10 years ago, a lot more people understand what ethnography is, mm. what qualitative mm. research is, um, the, the um, absolute necessity to understand people in their own context, to understand mm. consumers. So I was really surprised that people were still finding these roadblocks. We wanted to know why. And... Um, after thinking about this for time for some time, I thought, okay, no, we actually, I, I tried to shelve the project. I put it in a file somewhere. I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to forget about it. But it just kept bugging me. So one day I asked Melody, hey, will you pretty please help me out with this project? Like we need to do this <laughs> and get it out there. And so Melody um, fortunately just said yes and um, came on board and helped me to think through the design and who we should talk to and do the interviews and we did all the writing together and so on. Mm. Yeah, these are the best ones, right? Those things that just sit at the back of your mind and they they, they don't uh, rest until they are alive and happening. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, and um, and tell 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 me and our listeners a little bit about the process. Like, how how did you go about it? Like, it's such a big question and and um, such a present and relevant one. How how did you go about answering it? So we mainly used our network here in the EU, but also in North America. And Ethnoboral particularly is very helpful uh, in thinking through the issues. So we made sure in our selection process that we had people with different job titles. So you could have a UX researcher title, you could have a service designer title, or a marketing um, job description. So our criteria was pretty open to anyone who is primarily doing any type of research with customers and who may not necessarily be labeled as researchers. So we tried to get some front-end developers who are UX-friendly, but that fell through, but we were happy to get someone from the global south um, with a brand and marketing title. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see that her views and experiences in both startup and large companies were pretty similar with UXers elsewhere. So this really cut across um, borders. For our sponsorships, uh, we were lucky to have uh, University of Amsterdam, the anthropology department helping us and becoming our main sponsor. Uh, so we like to thank the Moving Matters group in particular for having the initiative to actually be interested with issues on industry and academia. Um, we also approached 
AAA, so the American Anthropological Association. And by coincidence, they were also relaunching their monograph series, which has gone on hiatus for probably several decades now. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they were interested to read how um, it, it was a very good topic to introduce to the association, to the mm-hmm. members, uh, especially um, written in a way that is very easy and very friendly. So thanks to Erin. Uh, so it, it, it has very little academic lease, you mm-hmm. know, the, the language of academia. So um, that is one of our kind of main objectives that this report is very accessible to all levels and all types of researchers, not just people trained in anthropology. Mm. And happily, we also asked Jillian Tett, who agreed to write our foreword. So she particularly focused on the importance of anthropologists in the business setting. So we're pretty happy with, with her. Three days, she said yes. So very easy. That's wonderful. What are the main outcomes that, according to you, came through this work? Like, what what insights did you gather? Quite a lot of interesting things that I didn't expect, actually. And for me, it's always a good sign when you go into a research project and end up finding out things you never expected Mm -hmm. to find. If you find what you expect, you have to worry that actually you're just, you know, using your own assumptions and putting your own biases into the research. But we found out all sorts of interesting things. And we try to use those to craft a report that is actually constructive and will help people take action. But one of the most interesting findings that we made, and for me, one that was the clearest was this idea that research should be viewed, not just as something that researchers do, but as a company wide activity. And this is interesting, because often researchers might feel quite isolated and alone if they are, for example, one of maybe one or two or three researchers in a company. Um, They can feel that they are the ones doing the research and um, the rest Mm -hmm. of the organisation isn't involved, doesn't know about it. Uh, Even if a researcher or a small research team is integrated well into a slightly bigger team, they can still have that sense that maybe cooperation might not work so well. So let's say, for example, uh, your team is de- is developing a product or service mm. and you're a certain way along the design process before you decide, oh, we should actually do some research to test this. There's at that stage very little opportunity to do any kind of fundamental discovery research. You're really just being asked as a researcher to test does this work or not. Yeah. And that can make researchers feel a little bit kind of isolated because if they then go out and discover things that weren't expected by the designers, then they can be left thinking, well, actually, yes, I've made these great insights, but it's too late to use them. And Mm. so their work isn't kind of used. And so what we heard researchers saying to us is that what is needed is for research to be better understood across the company by people with different roles and for there to be a more collaborative process across a company, bringing in different people with different job titles to assist in thinking through how is this research going to be done in a strategic way that really fits the design process from the outset and not just pathway down the track. And so, um, yeah, so we actually ended up witnessing lots of efforts by researchers to try to make that happen mm. by um, mm. finding ways to make their company aware of um, 
what they're doing and where they're at. I'll come back to those in a minute, actually, because I'd like to turn to Melody first um, to steal a question from you, Karina. I would love Melody to first explain what Mm -hmm. the building blocks were that we came up with. So actually, we tried to group together um, the different statements and experiences of these researchers. We started with around a huge number, like six, but we ended up consolidating it into four. So um, our participants identified mainly four things that they thought was very important to building their research cultures. Mm -hmm. The first is values and beliefs. Um, This is critical because a mindset shift is very necessary in how we think of research, especially for so-called experts, Mm -hmm. right? So very, very... um, specific job titles, right? So this point of evaluating values and beliefs include those that limit us at the individual and at the group level. Mm -hmm. So that is the first critical building block. The second are is the roles and relationships. So this is... um, Participants have identified that creating interpersonal relationships built on trust, navigating role boundaries, and bringing and valuing actually serendipitous encounters within the company. So these are essential in creating a safe a safe space for the third one and the fourth one, which is teamwork and community and language and communication. So teamwork and community mainly targets breaking barriers within the organization. So this is activities in which participants, researchers, advocates across silos. So this is dropping the lone expert approach to knowledge creation. So this is a dissemination of asking and also giving answers, right? So exchange, knowledge exchange. So language and communication, the fourth building block is critical because it is creating a shared language across departments. And this shared language depends on every organization. And Erin will um, specify the different techniques that researchers used and have used to communicate with their colleagues. Yeah, so I may as well jump uh, right in there. Uh, Karina, we're not giving you much air time. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I'm noting down my questions. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Okay. So, so what we did is we, in the report, we described those building blocks mm. in detail of the basic four things you need to build a healthy research culture. And after that, we have this section that gives real-life examples of things researchers told us that they do specifically to try and and build those connections, build that communication especially. 
So at the very basic level, uh, researchers emphasise the importance of the kind of water cooler conversations that you have around research as a way of getting people who you wouldn't normally talk to to hear something about what you're up to. And we heard this multiple times from people saying, well, actually, yeah, it's not just that I happen to talk to people at the water cooler. It's come to the point where I specifically look for people to talk to at the water cooler who I haven't spoken with yet and who I think might be interested in what I'm working on so I can sort of get the research disseminated outside my department. And, in fact, the COVID pandemic was a massive problem here because all of a sudden people are locked up at home. There's no water cooler to hang around. So researchers felt that their ability to make their research recognised when their company was actually hampered by working at home. So it's a casual way of communicating, but it is a big deal. Another one, which is probably fairly predictable and because it makes a lot of sense, is that a lot of researchers tend to hold workshops to disseminate knowledge about what they're doing or to, even more importantly, to get their colleagues involved in research. So, for example, let's say you're a researcher, you want uh, a greater participation by your team into your research process. People would organise workshops where they would get their colleagues in who did not have a research background and teach them basic research techniques and get them to, like, interview each other or go out on the street and do spot interviews or do observations so that their colleagues, while they're not going to do extensive research themselves, can at least understand the process. And that one seemed to be super popular and effective. Um, one that was actually quite different that we came across was there were several people we interviewed who actually invent metrics about their research. They'll, so they'll come up with ways to show their company what exactly they've been working on, such as, well, uh, at the end of the year, we can we know we've interviewed this many people, we've generated this many insights, like they come up with a whole bunch of metrics. While to them, they seem kind of a bit meaningless because that doesn't show actually the value of the research in terms of the depth you can get out of people in interviews, but at least it makes the activities you've been doing visible to people in your company. So it seems to be actually pretty successful. And the one that I find the most interesting is the covert strategies people use to try to get recognised in their companies. So we talked to people who said, well, I don't get into the, you know, uh, the meetings with the executives to talk about my work. How am I going to make them understand what I'm working on? How am I going to convince them of what we're doing? Well, what you do is you sort of get a, a more senior person to who's sympathetic to what you're up to and you say to them, hey, I know you're going to this meeting with the execs. Could you mind just talking a little bit about this particular piece of research we've been doing and highlight the value? So people have all kinds of strategies to make their voice heard within organisations. Nice. Um how happy do you think uh, researchers are in these companies? That's a good question. Um, we didn't get a sense that there were many people who were particularly upset and angry. You know, we mm. didn't we didn't discover a disenfranchised population per se. Mm. I, I don't think it's people that that people are sort of disenfranchised and upset. I think it's more that they feel they can do more. You yeah. know, and that's kind of can be a bit frustrating when you think, okay, things are going reasonably well. You know, I like my job, I like my colleagues. Uh, there are some teething issues, but more or less, it's okay. However, I know from my training that I can add extra value. I know that mm -hmm. if I were permitted to do more discovery research, for example. I could uncover all kinds of insights that would assist in the development of products and services 
even before the designers really start conceptualising what may or may not be made and what may or may not be changed. Because the thing with qualitative research is that many people who aren't familiar don't understand is that if you want to find out about things that you don't know about, then you actually just have to go out there without Mm -hmm. too much of a plan. And that can be difficult to swallow for a company that really wants to invest in value creation because why would you invest in something when you don't really know what it is you're doing or what you're going to find? But that is precisely the point. You don't know what you're doing and what you're going to find, and that's where the gold is because if you discover your customers have a need or an issue that you didn't know about, then you can act on it and you can do something about it. Yeah, I I always find it um in working with designers such a almost like a fundamental um a contradiction almost like a yin and yang is like anthropologist as an anthropologist i love discovery and everything that i don't know let's sit in that messy space of not knowing for a long time <laughs> and then all the designers when i talk to them and i share this kind of passion for the unknown of that space they were like no let's 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 go there let's let's see what what immediately we need to go into the zone of creation we need to go you know it's almost like this kind of loop between life and death like uh, <laughs> um they are so geared towards creation and like let's let's build even if you break it like let's build something and then it's i always find it quite an interesting kind of tension space that we sat with each other one gets pulled towards the explorative side and the other one towards the making um so um when I look at this kind of like relationship part that you're talking about in the second block, that that's what it makes me think about, like to kind of like sit in that relation where you kind of respect each other's craft, even though um, it's not your craft, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily a difficult thing, but it mm. is if the process isn't aligned, you know, if people in diff- with different roles are at different stages in the process and they're not actually communicating from the beginning, then... Of course, you're going to end run into issues in those relationships. But if you take some time, if everybody starts on the same page, everybody understands, not just everybody understanding research. I don't want to put research on the pedestal. It goes the other way as well. Researchers need to understand the other roles. Um, but if people come from a decision where they're on the same page and they understand the process mm-hmm. of what each other does and how to work together, then it can be much more productive. You, you talk about several times around you know kind of like what does it mean to really mature a culture of research inside the company and I, I wonder if 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 during these interviews you found some reflections of what does it mean for governance processes for example or for organizational structures where do you really put research and uh, what place do you give it inside the the hive of the organization and and does that kind of can help contribute towards this mature research culture that that you're talking about yeah i mean i I think um we got the sense that research does tend to be a bit hidden and a bit invisible in most circumstances Mm -hmm. and it only becomes visible when there's a problem Mm -hmm. so um there was one example of, of someone we interviewed saying that um she was um working on research around the general data protection regulation when that was about to come out. And at the time, she was in a media company and all the media companies were going crazy thinking, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to convince people to accept, um, you know, the, the, 
the conditions we need in order to let them allow access our website because as a media company you need that permission or you're not going to get the customers you depend upon advertising for your mm-hmm. revenue so you need people to accept to be able to see the advertising and um, so her research team went out and did this customer research on these issues of privacy and to figure out what consumers were likely to consent to and this was a big deal in their company the uh, whole company started paying attention. The CEO started talking about the research they were doing. Everybody got really interested, mm. whereas before they had been pretty much invisible as a, t- as a team and nobody knew what they were up to. And so she saw that as changing the way in which her team was positioned in the company and the value in which it was he- it's held. And so I think in a certain sense it doesn't matter so much what the structure is in your company mm. per se, It's the channels of communication between the different parts of the structure and the different silos that might exist in the structure that really Mm -hmm. counts in terms of getting that knowledge out there. Yeah. And I also hear you say like how how alive the question is in people's minds, right? How Mm -hmm. how much how much those 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 players in this interweaved ecosystems um, care about finding answers Mm -hmm. to that topic. Exactly. And that's why people put effort into making their research visible, such as Mm -hmm. sending out weekly insights. Yeah. But, you know, made it done in a super interesting way with a picture and a a short insight on a Friday afternoon when people are starting to go to sleep and it's something interesting people can see and it makes them curious about the customers and and what's happening out there. Yeah. Um, Now, um, is is that a good time, Melanie, to kind of explore that question around um, values and beliefs? I think mainly the this values and belief section has to mm-hmm. do with um, who is the expert. Like there's a lot of mindset shift. So particularly for anthropologists, as we talked with several of them, that they had to relearn how it is to do research. You know, from an individual perspective to one that you have to consider several players in the investigation process, but also in the analysis process. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the hardest, I think, shifts happening to kind of let go of that um, balancing between experts, being an expert and who is an expert. Mm. So then is the values and beliefs at the individual level, right? Like you in your role, you with yourself in that company and and kind of trying to weave that understanding via the Mm -hmm. education that you've also gotten of what it means to be an anthropologist, correct? Correct. And the other um, type of value is Mm -hmm. how they view their customers. So, and you mentioned this, that a culture of curiosity would help kind of break this down, right? So it doesn't mean if you're an expert that you know everything. And at the same time, if you're not a researcher, it doesn't mean that you cannot ask questions or or look for answers. Mm. I, that makes me think about um, uh, also the type of education that that they kind of come from, right? Like, is it is it a mm-hmm. is it a transdisciplinary space or multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary? Like, how mm-hmm. much experience does the researcher have prior to coming into that environment of working al- alongside other disciplines or even through other disciplines? Yeah. 
um, I, I can imagine that also this can be much more advantageous um, to have in your toolbox if you go inside um, these type of spaces. And I think the difficulty might be also for those who are immediately transitioning. Mm. So from an academic setting to an industry setting. But um, I, I, you, you talk um, a lot about, especially this, this uh, step around language, communication, dissemination. Um, have you, how do you think these groups explore impact, like the, the, the way the, the research findings actually manage to alter the direction of the company or the products? Or like, is, is that impact element part of this fourth block or, or do you see it in, in a different way? Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, I think part of people's frustrations might lie in the fact that they feel they can have more impact. They can do more to alter the the products, mm-hmm. the services, the you know the overall customer experience of of a company. Mm-hmm. Um, impact itself was not a term people really used in the interviews, actually. So I think people are not thinking so much in terms of impact explicitly, but it's more implicitly about their own sense of being of value and contributing to the overall process of teamwork within the company and also the end Mm. product. So it's all kind of tied up. I don't think people really tease it out that much themselves. I think much of their effort has to do with converting people into advocates. So I think a lot of their energies where they are in their companies include a lot of conversion tactics so they're still at that level, but I understand that maybe, the, um, especially now, people are already thinking about research operations, so re-ops. So that is more recently a very big deal. So and people are starting to think of what are, how do we reach out? In what way should we develop a repository? So, but the, this is for companies that are already mm-hmm. highly mature. Right. So they're thinking of, okay, we need to disseminate. We need to have other people make our insights accessible. Yeah. And and how um, also curious, how how big um, how big of a group these researchers are on average inside these companies? Am I am I to think of of a large community of researchers or a small one or how how have you experienced that in the interviews? Well, it depends on how you think about um, group and community in a way because most of the people we interviewed were working in a small group of researchers. We didn't interview anyone who was in a particularly large group. Um, But, I mean, researchers have their ways of creating communities, right? Mm -hmm. They will also talk to researchers in other companies and they will join organisations like, um, you know, Ethnoboral and Mm -hmm. Epic Community Mm -hmm. and so on in order to reach out and talk to each other. And, um, yeah, I mean, in fact, that was one of the findings, people saying, well, in order to change the company culture around research, actually we need to look further afield. We need to be talking to people on the outside as well. Mm -hmm. Changing the company culture isn't necessarily something that's to be done just from the outside. It's also about changing um, the general relations that people in the profession have with each other across company borders. It's interesting, right, because Mm -hmm. it's inside, outside. So these lone researchers, you know, sometimes they feel, you know, frustrated and tired. So, you know, it's important for them to expand their um, 
feelings of belongingness and support by looking outwards as well. So it's a very large uh, communities that they have. So they may be alone or one or two of them, but actually they have a very large network outside. Yeah, that's very interesting. And um, now to kind of like wrap it up, because I don't want you to talk all about the report, rather to give people the opportunity to dive into it themselves. Um, where, where can people find it? Where, where is the report now based? Um, tell me a little bit about also who do you think is the target audience? Who should read it? And how do you hope it's going to, it's going to be used? What, what type of impact do you hope it's going to make? So you can go to the site. So it's available mm -hmm. online in PDF form for free and download it at Better Research. So better-research.americananthro.org. And you can probably order a hard copy if you wish, mm -hmm. but it's free to download. So we hope that people will use the building blocks, um, the techniques of the interviewees that we talk to to promote their own research in their companies. But if you are part of a design agency or a job seeker or a career switcher, mm -hmm. you can use these building blocks to help you audit your clients or a company culture and to tailor fit in your like interviews or how you communicate. So it's very useful to gain the language of industry. And this is one of the, I think, key things about this report. And we're very interested for people to let us know what they think and if they found our report helpful. Okay. Um, I'm also going to put all of these links in the show notes. So there's no need for people to kind of uh, stop and uh, uh, type. Um, But um, I, I'm also curious now, um, coming back to your first comment, Erin, uh, at the beginning, is the, is, the, is the question still knocking around in your head or have you put it to rest? Has it bred another question that is going to be the next journey of this project? <laughs> Very curious. Well, I, th I think the outstanding question for me is, are we right? And in which ways are we wrong? And I would love to hear some feedback from people about what in the report they found actually helpful, what them, what made them go, yes, we're being listened to, and what made them go, that makes no sense, or maybe it makes sense for some person in some company, but it makes no sense for me in our company. So that's that's the outstanding question I have. But otherwise, I think I've scratched the itch. I think I'm happy to get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and you know, I think if, if, if people are, are curious to also come and give their feedback in person, they can, they can come... Um, To the epic in Amsterdam, right? You would, we would both be yeah. there in October, um, and then um, uh, hopefully also be able to speak more about this in person for those that yeah. are here in Amsterdam in October. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Yes, sure. or on LinkedIn. Also, the the, the details for both Erin and Melanie will be in the show notes. Um, now, I want to end, um, Melanie and Erin. Do you have a question to them? Uh, to the people out there that might be listening, is there is there any question or any anything that you would like to leave them with? Yeah, I mean, I would just like to to ask what strategies you've used in your career. You know, mm -hmm. anyone out there working as research in in a company, and what kind of breakthroughs have you had? You know, 
do you, do you mm. think that the situation has changed for the better for yourself? I would love to hear people who say, actually, yeah, I used to have all these problems, but no longer. <laughs> if anybody out there thinks, yeah, I used to deal with this, but I found yeah. ways to really break through and now I feel super confident that my work is valued, please tell us because we haven't quite heard that story yet. Okay. Uh, I'm actually curious. We we talk to people within companies. Mm. So I'm very curious to find out people who work on the periphery of these companies. So they may be in design agencies or people who are beginning in their careers mm -hmm. and switching careers. So I was, I'm curious to find out what readers in these um, chapters in their lives, what do they need to learn or to read that might be that might help them in their next stage, or at least to deal with uh, company clients. That would be interesting for me. Oh, wonderful questions. Um, thank you so much for being with us today, um, Melanie and Erin. Great work, and um, I hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Karina, and thank you for being one of our media partners. <laughs> now, oh, before we, we forget, right? Yeah. Before we forget, we should thank the other media partners, the National Association for the Practice of Anthropology, the Applied Anthropology Network, UX Insight, the Responsibility Summit, and Activate Planet. And of course, you, Karina. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Melanie and Erin. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speakers' work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.